For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and Trello, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, cloud accounting world, I did say back up QuickBooks Online company data. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Rewind, later in the episode. Apparently, on average, most firms are reporting increased productivity, anywhere from 5 to 15%. So the industry that for the last 10 years has argued it's impossible for us to work at home has had a 10% increase in productivity. Yeah. This is, I heard this correctly. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? So what if, <laughs> if they would have done it a decade ago, this 10% start adding up? Today is January 23rd, 2021. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, here we go. Another week went by. Another week. And this whole week, apparently for five days, Sage Business Cloud in South Africa was down. And I didn't hear about it till this morning. Five days in 2021, a cloud accounting app was down and we just completely missed it. Yeah, I feel like this would have been a humongous deal if something like this had happened in the US. I guess maybe they just don't have that many users in South Africa, or or maybe not everybody was affected. That's a long time, though. Wow. So there's an article in um, citizen.co.ca about this. And the big problem was apparently there's VAT taxes that have to be filed. It's the end of the month, end of the quarter. And so there's a lot of uh, panic about this. And people are very upset because it's been down. And then reading the Twitter threads, it they don't look good the way they're replying to people. Sage doesn't in mm. this because it's a little that instead of owning the problem, and we've talked about this before with other outages, right? Yeah. Instead of owning the problem, they're kind of putting it on like, oh, some of our people, we understand you have an inconvenience and it's 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 just said in that fashion. Right, right. But what's interesting about this article is SARS, which I'm not sure what SARS is. It's, I think it's the revenue agency in uh, South Africa. It sounds like SARS is not going to care to some extent. And then they really don't care when it comes to interest. So let me reread this quickly. So, so SARS is the South African Revenue Service. So it's like the IRS for the United States. And like the IRS isn't going to care if you can't access your QuickBooks file, right? They, they yeah. expect you to file. So so they put out an official statement. So it says SARS acknowledges... Okay. So this is from SARS itself. Okay. This is from SARS itself. Yep. Regarding this outage. SARS acknowledges that it may impact people's ability to manage their accounts and indirectly impact their ability to calculate VAT due to SARS or due to SARS. like Not due to SARS, the disease, due to SARS. The, 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 like it's, the, the taxes ta- are due. The tax yeah. agency, got it. It, it, it reads yes. right, but it doesn't sound great verbally. Yes. Obviously, this is not a SARS issue in the sense that SARS is not responsible for the SAGE software package nor it being offline. Huh. And then it goes on to say, as far as interest is concerned, as this is the time value of money, the waiving of interest will not be considered. Wow. So this is a big deal. I mean, if the revenue agency had to put out a press release about it, then it's affecting a lot of people. So is it up now? Did they get it fixed? And I just want to make sure I want to understand this is Sage Business Cloud, their full cloud product, not one of their hosted. That's correct. That's correct. And this is uh, and apparently it was only in South Africa. And uh, Sage South Africa replied back that it's 100% restored, but at a reduced capacity. And I've saw them tweeting to other people that if volumes are high, they were seeing issues for people mm. during high volume. But if it's the tax deadline and people are try- in a panic and now because they didn't have it for five days, volumes are probably going to be 
have an issue. So so if you're listening to this right now and you're in South Africa and you were impacted by this, let us know. We've got a voicemail number you can call. What is that number, David? It is 202-695-1040. And we got a voicemail and I want to play that. You've got mail. Hi, David and Blake. Um, first, I love your show. My name is Mary Going and I run a small firm that serves nonprofits. Bicycle Associates in Oakland, California, and I listened to a couple of podcasts in a row, and I wanted to comment on two things. One is that you ask people to weigh in on what we should do with the savings from not having people in the office, and I think we're going to have to give some of that to employees because they're having to give up space in their home in order to basically provide us with an office, a one-person office, and while I can deduct mine as a legitimate business expense, I can also say I don't like it. I don't like that it's taking up so much room in my apartment. And um, yeah, I would I would really like to be reimbursed for that, if I especially if I were an employee. The second thing is that on the podcast you keep talking about people working for a month or two from a different location. And it makes me wonder if people are required to report that. I mean, how would we even know where they are unless they tell us, as long as they show up at the right time? And, you know, they could have on a virtual background and we wouldn't even know that they had changed locations. So is there a reason why people have to report? I have that question. I also had a question about the CPA exam. I thought you also had to work for like two years under somebody. Is that true? So since you seem to know. And then finally, here's a prediction from me. I think that we will soon see, or at least I hope we will soon see, a service like Avalara, but instead of for tax, it'll be for, you know, figuring out how to get set up in all the different states to employ people who are moving around to all those places. Okay, thanks. Love your show. Bye. Amazing that she was able to get like five questions in in a two minute <laughs> voicemail. You just, a lot of people, we've had a lot of people call and they get cut off before they get to their questions sometimes. So, Mary, kudos to you for uh, being very organized in your uh, voicemail. Yes. And I, I love what you brought up there because I happen to have a story in my queue today about salaries and remote work. And actually, the trend is the other direction when it comes to pay. There's a lot of companies, especially companies from the Bay Area that are looking to cut people's salaries as they move to lower cost areas. And so as a result, to your other point, some employees are hiding where they're moving and they're not telling people that they bought a house somewhere else and are still pretending that they live in, say, the Bay Area or LA or wherever they were before New York. The problem with that is you know, potentially you're out of legal compliance. I mean, it may be illegal to do that. And uh, you're also going to end up paying taxes that you wouldn't have to pay. But I guess the idea is, or the reason that people do this is that in the end, they'll actually make more money, even if they're you know still paying that higher tax rate, because their employer is no longer going to uh, cut their salary by 10, 20% because they moved out of the high cost area. So uh, there could be a whole business model around this, right? So if you have an Airbnb in the Bay Area and you can't rent it out, you just rent out the use of the address <laughs> and, and, and have people's mail. Then you reforward the mail, like you put a yeah. separate envelope, mail it out to people, and then a bunch of people can say they're, they're just they live at that property. Here's my address. Here's my mailing address. This is where I live at, and then you can actually live in a different state. 
But uh, I would advise our listeners not to do that because I think there may be fraud involved. Just be careful what you're doing. Uh, so those are two of the points. What was the other one? Oh, the CPA exam and having to work for a CPA. Yes, that is true. If you want to become licensed as a CPA, at least in California, you have to work for a CPA who signs off on your work experience. And the way I did that is when I sold my firm, I worked for the partner who bought my firm for a period of time. And then I did go work for a large firm for the rest of the time. So I did my two-year requirement in kind of two chunks. Now, there are other states where it's not as hard to do it. Uh, The requirements can be different. For example, my partner in my cloud bookkeeping firm, she also took the CPA exam and she was trying to get her license while we were building our firm. And because I was the CEO, she was able in the state of Illinois to say that I was her supervisor and I was able to sign off on her work experience, even though I wasn't yet a CPA myself because she was working in an accounting services firm. So you got to really look at the requirements and look at what is actually required and see how can I get around the requirement? I mean, how can I fulfill the requirement in the least onerous way? I guess is the way to put it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that as CPAs. That's kind of like what we do in a lot of cases is let's find that loophole for our clients. Let's get them that deduction uh, legally, everything they're entitled to by using all the code to our advantage, right? So uh, just consider it as, as part of the education, figuring out how to do it at the lowest cost. And that last point about the prediction about an app. So it's kind of gray on that one because payroll companies... When your employees change address, they're supposed to update their mailing address to use the employer, then you change in the payroll app. So it's kind of tracked there. But when the employees file their personal taxes, they really still have to track what jurisdictions they lived in, right, or visited, etc. So there are apps for uh, global travelers to track the time they spent in each country. And there's actually uh, uh, apps like something called taxday.com for you to track on your phone what your residency wherever you worked or lived or vacationed inside the States so you can file file properly at tax time. Well, yeah. Thank you, Mary, for calling in. And if you want to leave us a message, give us a a call. Our number is 202-695-1040. Leave a voicemail. Keep it to about two minutes and we'll listen and we might even play it on the air. Love to hear your questions and, and what's going on with your firm. So let's transition into the news. We have a new president, David. We have a new administration. Oh, that's right. It feels this week was just long. That that happened this week, right? <laughs> that happened this past week, yes. Uh, the peaceful transition of power occurred. And there may be implications, of course, across all sorts of things that affect accounting and tax and audit. Joe Biden's administration is putting in new people overseeing the SEC, new watchdogs. The oversight is changing. And what does that mean? Well, day trading apps and crypto apps may want to watch out. Accounting Today is reporting that Biden's new watchdogs are going to be targeting Chinese companies that list on US stock exchanges while bypassing American regulations. Maybe they will get delisted. We'll see. Also, they're focused on the surge in trading by neophyte investors during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm thinking the Robinhood app, all those people who took their stimulus checks and put them into a Robinhood account and started trading in SPACs and Tesla and all these fun uh, day trading kind of stocks and also cryptocurrency. And then also pushing corporate America to reveal more about workforce diversity and climate change in their 
reporting to investors. There's another story kind of related to this. I think the the trend I've been hearing over the last week has been a, a big focus on equality and equity as part of the new administration. And there's an app that is actually helping companies do that in a systematic way. There's a company called Cindio, and they are in a niche that I didn't even really know existed until now. It's called pay equity. So what Cindio does is they plug into your payroll and HR system. Let's say you're a big company and you use Workday. You plug Cindio, their product is called PayEQ. So you plug PayEQ into your HR system, and then it pulls all your employee data, all their job titles and experience and how long they've been with the company, all that stuff, and flags automatically the significant disparities in pay for equivalent jobs across your entire business. So they have been doing really well recently because of all this talk about structural racism and gender pay gaps and companies wanting to figure out how do we fix this because fixing it at the front of of all this, right, in the actual interview process doesn't seem to be working. And at some level until now, if, if you're the VP of the company and it's your task with fixing this problem, you can never get this view because the data probably was just very hard to pull out of all the payroll systems, et cetera, et cetera. And so this app specializing in pulling that payroll data and cross-referencing it against um, all the other jobs data points in your organization. organization. Yeah. And, yeah. And perhaps like benchmarks across the industry. So you can figure out, am I paying people fairly and then decide what to do? Uh, so they have raised $17 million in a round led by Bessemer Venture Partners. That is on top of a Series A that they did in May of 7.5 million. So, you know, tw- uh, 20-something million dollars at this point going into this app. And they've got like 100 customers and a bunch of big companies using it. Um, their ARR has tripled over the last year. So it's focused on larger businesses, but I would not be surprised if we started to see some of the apps that target smaller companies, maybe payroll and HR companies themselves, such as Gusto ADP Paychecks, either creating some of this functionality or partnering with apps that plug in to do this kind of thing. So small businesses get that same kind of yeah. power. Well, you know, if 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 that is your objective to pay people fairly and you don't have the data, then you know this could help you do that. I've not heard of this app or have seen it before, but it's just, it'd be interesting if they on their they practice what they pre- they're preaching as well, right? Uh, for their own company. So we've we've moved into app news. I suppose we should play the music. You got anything this week, David? Uh, just a couple small things. Lending Club. So Lending Club before was kind of the middleman that would help you get loans, like you want a home equity loan. A few months back, we reported that they uh, were planning on buying a bank, Radius Bank Corp. And they actually got all the approvals to make this happen now. So now a tech company has purchased a bank for $185 million. And they are. Uh, it's going to be the US first publicly traded neobank. Well, so Lending Club bought, what's the name of the bank? Uh, Radius. Radius Bank. Wow. Which actually makes a lot more sense, right? Like instead of Square or any of these tech companies trying to get a bank charter, just go buy a bank. (laughs) Seems like it's the easiest approach. And, you know, the banks are scared and they should be. Jamie Dimon, the president of Chase, he said on an earnings call when an analyst asked him about the threat of fintech, he said, quote, absolutely, we should be scared shitless about that, unquote said that on an earnings call. It makes sense. A sponsor, Rewind, who actually coincidentally is sponsoring this week, they had a $15 million Series A. 
Congratulations. They basically plan to use this to fulfill its mission to protect uh, businesses and their cloud data. Um, they're basically going to accelerate their product pipeline. I think on their website, it says zero is coming soon, right? But they're going to um, hire across the board. They're going to have um, R&D, sales, marketing, customer service teams, all to support it. And they're going to go uh, global. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. QuickBooks Online backups their platform, but not your client's files, leaving you exposed to failed imports, bad app integrations, or manual data entry errors that can corrupt your client's files that take you hours of work to manually restore it all, pretty much erasing all those great profit margins you have because you're using the cloud. Rewind automatically backs up your QuickBooks Online files and in a couple of clicks can restore your client's file to the way it was prior to any mishaps. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. By using Rewind, you can take a proactive approach to your client's data and be the trusted advisor that differentiates you from your competitors by you showing your client how Rewind safeguards your client's most important asset, their data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Rewind. Protect your data. Protect your business. And then the other other one was trip actions. So trip actions is travel management. So if you uh, have a company and your employees need to book travel somewhere... They had a raise of $155 million in their Series E, valuing that company at $5 billion. But they've pivoted, right? They're now starting to become a spend management company. And they have essentially are now... Wait, wait, hold on. So what were they doing before trip actions? So if you were, uh, if I was at a corporation and I need to book a trip, I would go to the trip actions website for my company and I would get my hotel and my airfare and I would do all that trip actions website. But obviously company travel has been hit hard and travel's almost a near stop. But what they discovered is companies needed expense management. And so they basically have pivoted from travel to expense management and they're creating digital credit cards now for expense report solutions. They built a unified dashboard so companies can, uh, when their employees are working at home, they can help with their expense management. So they're just pivoted to the way the market is now. That's one of the biggest surprises in the pandemic for me is that all of these expense management companies that I thought were going to go out of business have actually thrived because there's there's more expense reports than ever with people working at home and buying stuff for their home offices and expensing their internet, internet and all that stuff. Too bad, too bad pre-pandemic. You didn't have, you know, like these services like for your dog where they just ship you the dog, dog toys each week or the dog food. Like, I thought you, you were going to say a, for a second that they, they ship you the dog. <laughs> right? But like, the, 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 or there's the, like for the makeup or your clothes, like yeah, fashion yeah. in a box and you subscribe to these services, like there wasn't like this like home office in a box where you know, if you were, already had that company where everybody right. could just – it would have been a great service. It's too late to spin one up now, I think. But if you yeah, had yeah. that pre-pandemic and people – oh, my five employers are going to work at home. You just go and you just buy it. Boom, boom, boom ship off the boxes. Actually, Amazon should have bundled up something like that quickly. They could have done I know. It. Well, the problem is all the products were like in short supply. You couldn't find a webcam to put I know, in the box, I, know. You know? I finally bought one though. I got a new webcam. I have not hooked it up yet, but it's sitting here on my desk. So I'm, I'm going to uh, up, upgrade that. And by the way, I only paid $60 for it, but during the high tide, it was like 250 bucks and I couldn't oh, bring yeah. myself to buy it. People got crazy. Well, speaking of home office equipment, maybe David, you're also looking to upgrade your laptop. Is that possible? Yes, always. This is a story in tech 
Radar. It's the best laptop 2021, our pick of the 15 best laptops you can buy this year. I'm not going to go through all 15, but I'll give you the top few. And what surprised me in this story is that the Apple MacBook Air topped the list. So this is the new MacBook Air that's running the M1 chip. Apple has been spending years building their own silicon. So they've moved off of Intel chips. They now have their own silicon. It's the same chips that are in iPads and iPhones, same architecture. I don't know if you've heard about these laptops, but I have. My my dad got one. They are unbelievably fast and they don't even have fans in them. They're so cool. They run completely silent, which I love as a podcaster because the fans get so loud in some of these laptops. Even on Zoom calls, it gets distracting. They are completely fanless. They are incredibly fast and they're just crushing the competition. And it's a MacBook Air. It's like super small. If you haven't switched to Mac yet, this might be the time to finally make the leap if you are able to do that. Now, I know many of our listeners, you are on PC. You're going to be on Windows forever. I get it. Everything runs in tax, especially on uh, on Windows. Well, if you're looking for a Windows laptop, the best one that TechRadar recommends is the Dell XPS 15. And I have to say it does look pretty nice. And it's using that 10th generation Intel Core i5 to i7 processor. Oh, but what's great about that, I just clicked on your link. You can get it configured with up to 64 gigs of RAM. I would always go for the max RAM if you can afford it because that will future-proof your laptop so much. It's the RAM. That's all about the RAM. And you're stuck actually on the MacBook Air. You can't go past 16 gig, sixteen gigs of RAM. So if you really want a lot of RAM and you want to have like a zillion tabs open, go for that Dell XPS 15. I might have to put Dell back on my radar. Yeah. I'm not going to go through the full list. So if you want to see it, uh, find that link in the show notes. I've also got another top list article. You know, I'm all about the text messaging, right, David? I think that firms should figure out a way to text message. In fact, it's because you're millennial. That's how you yeah. interact. Got it. And there's then those are now customers of tax firms in theory. Exactly. Lots of and, and running them too, right? So so if you want to reach out to millennials, uh, you probably should be texting them. The average open rate for emails is only about 20%. Do you know what the open rate for text messages is, David? 98%. So if you want to make sure that your message is getting read, do you want to send an email or do you want to send an SMS? So I'm always saying to firms, hey, figure out a way to SMS or text with your clients, but I've never offered a solution. And now I may have one for you. Zapier put together a list of the top five best SMS apps for small businesses. And those apps include text magic, simple texting, sales message, easy texting, and then Twilio, if you really want to customize things. And I think people have heard about Twilio a lot because they are the dominant one. And Twilio is a little bit more of an API platform. So like you you have to have a little bit higher. I I don't imagine a firm owner is just going to go in there and do that. You have to have some technical chops to, to use it. So there's some screenshots in here about how you can actually customize Twilio yourself. Okay. Uh, it's They've built some customization workflows. So if you really want to customize how you're texting with clients, maybe build it around your workflow with Zapier. You could do that with uh, Twilio now. Pretty neat. But but these other ones make it like super, super easy. And what I like about this list is that one of the requirements is that all the apps have to be capable of true two-way messaging so that you can actually have a conversation. And then... Not all of them, but some of them allow you to create a number for each user in your firm. So every person who has clients that they're talking to could have their own number and only see 
the messages from their clients, but you could manage them all centrally as well. And you can have shared inboxes too. Really, really neat. So uh, go search for that. Five best SMS apps for small businesses in 2021. You don't have to search for that. You can just go to our show notes. Go to the show notes. But I know like a lot of people don't even know where the show notes are. But if, if you know, like not everybody goes to the show notes, but. It's on cloudaccountingpodcast.com. Oh yeah, go to the website. That's the place to find it. If you can't find it in your podcast app, go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, find the episode. And uh, we have all the links to everything we talk about in our show notes on that website. Uh, what else we got? I got two more. So back to cloud accounting apps and news. HubDoc has updated their integration with Zero. As we all know, Zero purchased HubDoc not too long ago now and have been integrating it more deeply into the Zero platform. So now in HubDoc, you can click a link on a transaction that has been exported into Zero, and you can go to the transaction in Zero. And how is this helpful? Well, it can be really helpful if you're using HubDoc to capture a bill, and then you want to go to that bill in Zero and then enter the payment right away. You just export it and then click the link, and then you're in the bill in Zero, and you can do whatever you need to do. Great example of how to make things faster for people. I mean, I'm not familiar with Zero in general, uh, with Zero's APIs, but QuickBooks has always had the ability to deep link, and developers have been doing some stuff like that with QuickBooks for a long time, where you can deep mm-hmm. link right to the transaction. Yeah, and every Zero transaction has, I, I believe that's how it works, is there's like a unique URL. So you don't even have to deep link through an API. You can just copy the URL. So similar, exactly. Yeah, you can just change yeah. the uh, the the invoice number on the URL and boom, you're into the invoice. Or yep. Got it. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Practice Ignition. Are you spending countless hours editing Word documents to create your engagement letters for this upcoming tax season? Are you still chasing down AR from last tax season? With Practice Ignition, you can quickly and easily prepare your client engagement letters and collect payments all in one place. By using Practice Ignition's new proposal editor, you can streamline your sales process and upsell services by allowing your clients to choose from up to three proposal options. Once they choose their desired proposal, the clients select their preferred pricing option, enter their payment details, and sign, all in one place. Practice Ignition's new proposal editor also gives you greater control with more flexible billing options, including annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, hourly, and even variable unit-based billing for volume-based services. To learn more about how Practice Ignition can help your firm and to get 25% off your first year on the professional annual plan, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash PI. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash PI. My last app story is about Zoom. Zoom fatigue is something that many of us are familiar with. Maybe you're suffering from it. You might be wondering just how many people are suffering from Zoom fatigue. And there's a survey out by Robert Half that finds that 38% of people say they have hit their limit as far as virtual meetings go, confirming that Zoom fatigue is indeed real. The novelty has worn off a bit. Now, what is the frustrating part about all of this? Why are people fatigued with Zoom? Well, the top three reasons are dealing with technical issues. That's 28%. That kind of surprises me that people are still having technical issues with Zoom, but hey, I guess it happens. Well, it's not, I, I doubt it's technical issues. It's just every time you use Zoom, 
they changed the preferences from last time you use Zoom. And so you're like, I have to admit people now in my meeting. I never had to do that before. It's just this constant. Yeah, it's not so much yeah. technical. It's just Zoom just keeps changing the game for you. The other two reasons that people are having Zoom fatigue are too many meeting participants. That's 19%. And then people talking over each other, which is 19%. And both those are probably related, which is when you have too many people on the meeting, people tend to talk over each other. And, and you know, too many people in the meeting, I guess that was a problem that we had even when we had meetings in person, right? It was just easier when you had a huge conference room full of people because you could kind of like just, I don't know. Well, you could, the, the difference is you could look at somebody else in the room and roll your eyes and they would kind of give you the head nod or they do the <laughs> eye roll, but you can't get that in Zoom. You, it's impossible. You you can't, the body language stuff. Can't well, happen. everyone sees it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I think we can work to reduce Zoom fatigue. I suppose the good news is that only 38% of people, less than four in 10, are saying that Zoom is a problem. So we're figuring out how to make it work. I mean, I personally am happier on Zoom than if I had to go to the office every day. 40% is a lot, four in 10. That's 40%. That's almost half. I know, but it's also, I'm, I'm looking at it as like the glass is more than half full in terms of, you know, 60% of folks are fine. Yeah, we'll, it, right? we'll check back on the stat in about six more months. <laughs> So one of the problems with Zoom is that if your organization uses video all the time, you can start to feel trapped on Zoom calls. And I feel this way, especially when it's a big one. Like I want to get up. I want to walk around. I'm tired of sitting in my chair all day long, but I feel like I can't do that because then I have to turn off my video and maybe people will feel like I'm not engaged, right? So I end up just sitting there sort of staring at my screen. And there's an app for that now that can help you with that. And I, I, I like the headline and going concern about this app. The headline is, need to take a dump but stuck in a Zoom call? There's an app for that. And this is a story about an app called Freezing Cam. And, and what it does is it freezes your webcam. It fakes that your webcam has frozen on the Zoom so that people think you're just having a connection issue. And then you can go do what you want. And maybe they don't even notice that you're... Uh, picture is frozen because there's like 25 people on the call, right? Nobody's actually looking at any of the small videos, right? When it's in the that thumbnails, gallery view, the thumbnails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, check that out. Uh, you can download it at um, freezingcam.com. It's available for Mac OS right now. And I'm not sure if it's available for PC, but I think they're working on it. So I, I might have to try this, David, since I have a Mac. Or if you could just, you know, go, goes, uh, goes very pixelated, you know, you have the eight bit zoom. Camera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have heard about people going a little farther than this and, and more advanced where they take the virtual background and they record themselves sitting in front of their desk, kind of just moving a little bit. And then they use that video. So it's like on as, a loop, but it's somebody to have to really pay attention to notice. Yeah. Like, like I'm sitting there and I'm blinking and maybe like take a sip of your coffee yeah. yeah, yeah. And that just loops over and over again. And you can get up and leave <laughs> and nobody will know. And then if you could just have an autoresponder of audio, <laughs> you're, you're good to go for your meetings. So I've reported in the past about how like a huge number of professionals are working from home these days uh, during the pandemic. 42% of the US workforce has been working from home full time during the pandemic, according to a Stanford University study, as reported in Going Concern. Going Concern also has reported a survey from Live Career, the survey of a thousand professionals that says that 29% of those people would quit their jobs if they couldn't continue working remotely. 
So of all the people working remotely now, a full third would rather quit their jobs and find a new one than go back to the office. So that's going to create some challenges, I think, for companies that want to bring employees back to the office. But then I go and I look at a different source and I see a, a different angle. So this is a survey from Office Space Software that says that 71% of employed Americans are eager to return to the office and really want to do so once it is safe. So what, what's the truth? Over 70% indicated that they feel more engaged and more productive in the office and 80% indicated that they miss in-person collaboration with their coworkers. Well, I guess if you put those two numbers together, right, you have 70% that say they are more engaged and productive in the office and want to go back. And then you've got 29% that would quit their jobs if they couldn't continue working remotely. I guess that that's like almost 100%, right? So we've got a third of people who want to keep working at home. And then we've got the other two thirds that want to go back to the office. And I'm guessing that of the people who want to go back to the office, a lot of them would prefer not to go back 100% of the time. I mean, that's I'm in that group, right? I would love to go back to the office if I could go back part-time. So maybe that's I what want we'll the choice, right? Like, like yeah, ultimately, yeah. like I want to be able to pick and choose or work from Starbucks or work from home or, you know, have you now, I'm, obviously I'm building an office. So, and you know, I'm going to have to justify the cost and actually use it or I'll be in big trouble. <laughs> what I thought was funny though, is that like, these are just different views of like kind of the same data, right? So this is office based software. Did the 71% want to go back to the office? And I think that's, I don't even know what office based software is, but I'm guessing it has something to do with helping you manage your office space. Okay. It, <laughs> All right. Of course, they're going to find the survey results that pleases them. There you go. And whereas a career website that's focused on placing remote workers would, would talk more about the remote thing. Well, maybe, maybe the, uh, there's some frustration and the, the big problem when you're working remote is you can have three martinis during a meeting, but you cannot do the three martini lunch right now. Well, I mean, you can do it at home, but you know, you have to drink three martinis at home. Yeah, so a, <laughs> that's true. But it's you can't do it with other people, and you can't put it on the expense card. You can't expense it. It's a company. Well, you could try. You could try, try when you're at home. You could that's use true. you could use that trip uh, app that you were talking about. Yeah. So there's a great article on Forbes.com. Uh, it's called "A Cultural Tax History of the Three Martini Lunch." It's a long read. It's, it's a Sunday morning read, right? Like, get the article, read it in Sunday morning. It's politics. It's tax policy. It's gender equity. It is uh, class equity. It touches on everything and, and really tracks this from post-World War II administrations all the way up through. Apparently, so Trump was pushing for this. Well, he got it, right? And it got included in the relief package. Yeah. yeah. It, got, it got shoved in the relief package now to be able to, to deduct more. So this, the debate's been, do you deduct it at all? Should it be 50%? But there's a, some cool like, quotes from this article is, you know, having a meal on the expense account is what the American dream is all about. <laughs> yeah. Except, except in, in like when you watch Mad Men and they're doing all those like meals with the three martinis. It's basically a bunch of white guys, privileged white guys who don't actually do much work going out and hanging out with each other, who are successful because they like network with each other. And that's part of you know? the, the yes. argument against it, right? These are some of the arguments against it. And the one thing that I thought was interesting, there's a little uh, stat in here. So this is the National Restaurant Association. They did a survey in uh, 1977. And because they're fighting against this a little bit, because what happens is when it gets argued politically, it's always the three martini lunch. And restaurants obviously make they make money off this. When people when people do business oh, yeah, in yeah. restaurants and spend a lot of money, it's good for the restaurants. So they did a survey and basically essentially uh dealt beverages only account for three percent of business expense lunches. Uh the the number one expense is coffee. 
<laughs> followed by soft food, uh, soft drinks, tea, and milk. Like interesting, they, it's not they're not spending the money on the martini lunches. Like they're like people are probably genuinely really meeting and doing real business work at these lunches. Right, right. So, so the the whole one hundred percent deduction probably. Well, I guess it'll make a difference for those things, right? Um, and and to close the loop, that's what's happened is now in twenty twenty one, you can claim one hundred percent of the deduction for meals, for business meals. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really cool article. Uh, it's worth the read. It's it's enjoyable. There's a lot of history and um, how the pendulum has swung over time of people's opinions yep. of this. And, and and so here we go. It's 100% deductible again. And maybe we should, I should drive it to Phoenix and we can do a three martini lunch and record the show. <laughs> well, we better record be- before we have the third one. That's for sure. Maybe uh, we'll find a, res- a restaurant that'll let us do it inside the restaurant. We'll do our three martini lunch and we'll re- record the effects of that and we'll deduct it. Well, so three martini lunches may not be that productive, but remote work is more productive for accounting firms. And that's why I think it's going to stick. This is from a story in CPA Trendlines by Chris Fredrickson. Uh, and it's about how productive are firms now that people have been working remotely for a while. We've got some good data on this. And apparently, on average, most firms are record- reporting increased productivity, anywhere from 5 to 15%. Why? Well, Mr. Fredrickson surveyed dozens of firms for the answer. Reason number one he's hearing Avoiding a daily commute of up to three hours reduced stress and encouraged more exercise, resulting in greater well-being. So before you finish jumping into the uh, the reasons why, I want to make sure I heard this correctly. So the industry that for the last 10 years has argued it's impossible for us to work at home has had a 10% increase in productivity. Yeah. this is I heard this correctly. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> so what if, if they would have done it a decade ago, those 10% start adding yeah. up. I know they would have been making a lot more money, right? And and to go back to these reasons why not having a commute has allowed people to put in more hours, basically, and also dedicate more time to getting exercise, so they're more mentally aware and acute, and they're getting stuff done. Number two, not having to get ready to go to work that can save you forty five minutes just putting yourself together, right? Number three, working at home means that people work longer and don't spend time gossiping or politicking which I definitely know is true. You always see those people in the office who are just hanging out at the water cooler in the break room or chatting. That's what Slack's for. Come on now. (laughs) Not as fun on Slack. See, that's why. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by bookkeep.com. Do you have clients tracking sales and payments in Shopify, Square, Shopkeep, Grubhub, or Upserve? If you do, you know it's a monthly struggle to import the sales into QuickBooks or Xero using CSV import files. Maybe you've even tried one of those apps that syncs every transaction to the accounting system, only later to discover that you can't reconcile the thousands of transactions it imported against the deposit that was made to the bank account. Seriously, do you need these thousands of burgers and fries orders entered in the accounting system? And don't forget about tracking all those fees correctly. Bookkeep will summarize all these transactions, including the fees, into one nice daily journal entry, posting it to QuickBooks or Xero so it will perfectly match the deposited amount, making all your reconciliations a breeze, your reporting accurate, and best of all, it'll help keep your client's accounting system clean and efficient. Jason Richardson created the widely used Shopkeep point of sale from the back of his retail wine shops. Years later, after witnessing the explosion of apps with poor accounting integrations, the entrepreneur turned developer teamed up with his former CFO and CPA, Ruth Koo, to create bookkeep.com. Listeners can get one free month of bookkeep.com by using promo code CLOUD, 
head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bookkeep. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-O-O-K-E-E-P. One of the issues though with remote work is while you don't have that long, hour long or two hour long even commute, a lot of people miss the commute. And Wall Street Journal did a story about how people who miss their commute are creating a fake office commute. Have you heard about this, David? Have you ever done a fake commute? I've heard of people just like taking a shower and then changing their clothes and then like picking up your briefcase, your purse, and then walking to the other part of the house. So, you get the sensation of going to work. Yeah. And and that is an example of this routine, this get ready routine. uh, And that's probably more a mild one, right? But, But even just getting dressed and putting on your work clothes and walking across the house to a separate space where all you do is work is an example of this. Some people are going to more extremes. Uh, For example, walking around the block, that can be a good way just to start the day and, and, and create separation. And then when the day ends, you do another walk around the block uh, to come home. Uh, There's people who like make a ritual out of going and getting a cup of coffee and then coming home. And that's their, takes the place of their commute and you you can listen to a podcast on the way. Lots of examples of that. Is there anybody who just goes in their car and sits in the garage for a half hour and then gets mad, honks their horn once or twice? (laughs) So I I don't know if it was in this story, but I did earlier in the pandemic read a story about somebody who did that where they would get in their car, drive around the block and then park and come inside. And that was how they started their day. Oh, exit strategy. Here we go. You just, we'll we'll have a separate Zoom you can jump into and it's like virtually going through a commute and we'll just, we'll just film like a commute. Just have somebody streaming uh, the car driving. In the traffic on yeah. the 101. In the traffic. Yeah. So I mentioned the remote salary adjustments when we had that voicemail from Mary. That is real. There are a lot of companies that are looking into doing this if they haven't done it already. Some of them are tech companies. Facebook, Microsoft, and Stripe have announced that more employees will be able to work remotely indefinitely, but have also suggested that they may adjust the salaries if people stay in those areas. So an example in the story that I'm reading now here is an employee of Redfin. This one employee relocated from Brooklyn to Rochester. Huge change in the cost of living. Well, Redfin is adjusting her salary and bonus about 20% down next year, but she's still fine with it. She's resigned herself to the trade-off because the difference is actually still better for her. She's way better off in Rochester. I, I wouldn't be surprised if companies start to do that. You know, they're going to take all the advantages they can get. Now, of course, if you're really in demand, you can probably negotiate beyond that, right? You can say, no, I'm not going to accept your cost of living strategy. I, I suspect that the uh, the companies are going to win these arguments though. Probably in the end, yeah. Especially if more and more of them do it, right? So then maybe you'll see employees like having fake addresses. <laughs> one last story here on the remote work queue. I, I want to clear this out because this is a great one. So, David, you mentioned this hilarious fact that <laughs> accounting firms for decades said we can't go remote and then they did and then they actually saw productivity go up. It's just so funny, right? It's just amazing. Well, a lot of these firms are operating remote, but they're they're still kind of operating probably the same way they always have, right? People are just meeting on Zoom. Uh, they're still tracking their hours, billing time, all that stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But I wanted to talk about a company that I read about that is probably the most unusual structure, operating structure, uh, way of working that I've ever seen. 
It's a company called Gumroad. They are a virtual business that started out as a traditional San Francisco tech company where everyone was in the office. They were building a platform for creators to sell stuff online and Gumroad took a cut, right? This is not unusual. We're all familiar with this kind of thing. Well, uh, Gumroad, you know, in 2015, they had two dozen full-time employees. They were trying to raise money and they failed. Like many startups, they couldn't raise money. And so they had to basically almost completely shut down. And it was just the founder who was left. And so he left San Francisco. He wanted to try and keep Gumroad going even without venture capital. And he actually figured out that he could change the company so that he could keep it running. And it's been growing under this new structure. And and the philosophy is there are no meetings, there are no deadlines, and there are no full-time employees. And using this strategy, Gumroad's creators are earning over $175 million a year. The company generates $11 million in annualized revenue and has grown 85% year over year. There are zero meetings in this company. The way that people communicate at Gumroad is, and they've got about a dozen people, they talk via GitHub, Notion, and occasionally Slack, and responses are expected within 24 hours. There's no deadlines. So people just start working and they go into a queue of stuff to be done in their project management app, Notion, and they pick on what they want to work and they start working on it. And instead of setting quarterly goals, they just move toward a single North Star, which is maximizing how much money creators earn. And so if you if you want to work at uh, Gumroad, you just work on whatever you want to work that's in the in the Notion queue. So it's like having one big, huge backlog and you just have a super distributed team. There's no real management and you just go in and be like, I could do that and you just grab it and do that work. Then you're like, I could do that and go grab it, do the work. So you just yeah. naturally, people are going to pick the tasks they can actually complete and the world just keeps moving forward. And, and here's the really revolutionary part is nobody works, nobody can earn more than 20 hours per week. Everyone's part-time. And they all get paid just a flat hourly fee. So you decide how much you want to work for this company. And it's designed f- so that you could do other stuff. So people will have, maybe they all they want to do is work 20 hours a week. Or maybe they want to work on a side project while they work at Gumroad. Uh, and it, it's working for them. Some of the people want to work full time, but they just get paid for 20 hours a week. And if they want to work more, uh, they get paid 50% of their rate above 20 hours. And it's designed to incentivize people to not overwork is the idea. So like, I just thought this was fascinating. It's worth a read. If you're thinking about designing a different type of cloud accounting firm or cloud bookkeeping firm, take a look at what they're doing because it's working. And I have to say, I really like the idea of, of just empowering employees to work on what they want to work on. Like, I think we don't trust employees enough a lot, a lot of the time. And that maybe if we just trusted them more to, to work on the things that are important, they'd actually get it done especially in the in the world of accounting where we have like a lot of smart people. They don't necessarily need to be micromanaged. And, and a lot of the work in accounting is a little bit task-driven, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a one-off yeah. like, file this report, run this payroll, do this and just it, yeah. people are going to naturally gravitate A to the things they like to do, the things they think they're good at. In a weird kind of way, like will this just naturally cause like optimized efficiency? Yeah. I mean, imagine if you ran a tax practice this way where it's like everybody just got paid by the hour and you just go in and you grab a tax return and you do it, <laughs> you know? And then like, if you, you figure out as many as you want. the concept I think I'm, that's really getting my brain is we've talked about this before on the show, this whole like how unproductive meetings are, right? 
And the reality is sometimes I feel like I only get eight hours of work done a week. It's super productive. I get a lot done. But like one day a week, I have eight hours where I really get work done. And so if there's no meetings, you just come in here and pick things to do and you finish them. Maybe the reality is you could have a 20-hour work week. Oh, yeah. If, if you weren't stuck in meetings, I feel like a lot of people spend most of their time in meetings and they're not getting anything done. So I, 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 do, I try to minimize that as much as possible. And I'm completely honest with people because like, what I do is on the marketing side, a lot of it is creative. And I'm coming up with a topic for a webinar and learning objectives and, and trying to figure out how do I make it interesting. There's only so much of that I can do every day. I can't do eight hours of creating content. It's Your brain is just not set up to do it that way. I could if I didn't have six hours of Zoom meetings in between <laughs> those eight. <laughs> That's the problem. I have nothing left. What, what I'm trying to say is that even if I had just an empty day, oh, yeah. I couldn't work. I couldn't do that kind of work for eight hours straight. Now, if I'm just doing data entry, yeah, I could do that for 12 hours, right? It's It depends on the kind of work you're doing. Well, I think that's all the time we got. I, I kind of blew through uh, all of our episode on, on the remote work. I hope you don't mind, David. But I, your, your, cues, your cues emptied out now? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so now that's that's gone. I feel much better about that. Uh, but I, I have a bunch of like PPP stuff that we didn't cover, but that's okay because I feel like all the stuff I read is about it. So I'm sure our listeners are up on the PPP. Is they don't this, need us. We'll just put a line. That. Like, this is our probably the first PPP free episode in a long time. <laughs> I even had an article, but we kind of, it didn't flow right. So maybe it'll, it'll show up next week, but this will be our first PPP free episode. So until next week, if people want to get in touch with you, David, where should they do that? The easiest way is probably on the socials on, on Twitter at David Leary, the same on LinkedIn and Facebook and just very easily find me. And I'm on Twitter at Blake T. Oliver. Connect with me. If you choose to connect with me on LinkedIn, just say that you're a listener of the show. And going forward, if your cloud accounting app is out for more than one day, please tag us and let us know. I I, I just felt so when I saw that this morning, like how, how did we miss this for a week that an accounting software package in the cloud was down for five days? I'll talk to you next week. See ya. Time for the classifieds. Does your sales team know which invoices are overdue, due, or paid, or which clients have been invoiced, or what the total receivables are? Birdwinner for NetSuite offers a powerful two-way integration solution between NetSuite and Salesforce and can be set up and configured in just under a day. Your team can raise NetSuite sales orders as invoices, track their status, quote complex NetSuite pricing, and much more, all from within Salesforce. Get the integration that works immediately and save staff time, increase data accuracy, and accelerate your business sales cycle. Start your free trial of Breadwinner for NetSuite today at breadwinner.com slash netsuite-salesforce. We want to tell you about a new app on the QuickBooks App Store called Uncat. It has nothing to do with cats. It has everything to do with fixing uncategorized expenses. If you're still exporting spreadsheets of uncategorized expenses from QBO to send to your clients, you need to stop doing that. Uncat notifies your clients about uncategorized expenses and lets them add descriptions and receipts online. You can then assign expenses to the right accounts and everything syncs with QBO so you don't have to copy and paste anything. Uncat is fast and easy for you and your clients so everybody's happier. So ditch the spreadsheets and manual data entry and head over to uncat.com. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, your first client is free. That's www.uncat.com.
Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.